While President Joe Biden pretends that his policies have not created a crisis and a surge at the southern border, the criminal coyotes who his policies have empowered are saying otherwise. Take a listen. I'll translate since I'm such an expert in Spanish and I can read subtitles. Is business booming right now? Does it pay well? It does. Given the situation with the people, at least that's what these two young men say, having built a highly profitable business. This is Univision. By helping Central American families seeking asylum to cross into the U.S. We just come here to earn our daily bread like everybody else, says the criminal coyote. In all honesty, there are way too many people with the benefits your president is now granting. People found the courage to come. <laughs> In all honesty, you know, look, man, I, who am I? I'm just a, a small criminal coyote who abuses people and, and, and breaks the laws of multiple nations. But man, your president is insane. Your president is serious. It's too much. All right, please. We're, we're getting too rich off of this, say the gangsters. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Austin Faust, who says anytime a Democrat says it's not about politics, it is definitely about politics. This is true. This is, uh, uh, this is the tell. You know, the, the Democrats are very often misdirecting and the left usually projects. So what it accuses uh, its, opponent, its opponents of doing is what it is doing itself. And uh, it's the same thing, this irony of, hey, come on, this is not about politics. Just redefine sex, obliterate national borders and give us all the power. It's not about politics. Come on. Not about, but with, with people so power hungry, it's, sometimes it's hard to relax. Though, if you do want to relax, if you want to be in a really, really comfortable position, whether you're doing work, whether you're sitting around reading a book, you've got to check out X chair. X chair has you covered for your office chair needs. The secret is not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to your lower back. But now, thanks to their new XHMT technology, you can also get heat and massage therapy while you're sitting at your desk. I am not kidding. You know, here at the Daily Wire, Ben basically wants me to sit on like a little footstool while I do my work all day. To get even any chair was really, really a big deal for me. And I tried out this X chair. It is, it is ridiculous you get the massage function going. You're, you're sitting up really nice. Your posture is much better. It's, I, I did not know a chair could be so advanced and sophisticated. The X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Go to xchairknowles.com right now. That's the letter X chair, K-N-O-W-L-E-S.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Seriously, invest in your work. I, I do that, and I really don't regret it. We spend a lot of time working. Go to xchairnoles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S.com. Now use code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. xchairnoles.com. AOC says that I am not supposed to call what is going on at the border a surge or a crisis. I'm not allowed to do that. Just because the numbers are surging, just because we obviously have a crisis, 1,500% capacity in some detention facilities. I'm not allowed to call it either of those things because that would make me a racist. They want to say, what about the surge? Well, first of all, just gut check, stop. Anyone who's using the term surge around you 
consciously is trying to invoke a militaristic frame. And that's a problem because these, this is not a surge. These are children and they are not insurgents and we are not being invaded, which by the way, is a white supremacist idea, philosophy, the idea that if an other is coming in the population, that this is like an invasion of who we are. Invasion is a white supremacist word. So for instance, when uh, like Genghis Khan's armies were taking over and conquering lands, that was, that was white supremacy. When the Greeks invaded Troy, that was white supremacy. Were the Trojans white? Were the Greeks white? I, 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 as just a technical matter, what is going on at the southern border is an invasion. Now, the, re- the reason that one can hesitate to call it an invasion, there are two reasons. One, the, the people who are coming in, the foreign nationals pouring across our border illegally are not armed. And usually that the idea of an invasion involves people being armed, preparing for armed conflict. And they're not, which ties into the second reason that one hesitates to call it an invasion. Namely, they're being invited in by Democrats. Joe Biden is actually saying, come, surge, get over here, get, come on, we want you to come. He's using all those white supremacist terms. But just as a, as a purely technical matter, take all the emotion out of it. When a, when a foreign people subject to a foreign state starts lawlessly pouring across your border in contravention of your, of your national borders, of your sovereignty and of your laws, what do you call that? Do you call that a dinner party? No, is it closer to a dinner party or an invasion? I don't, it seems to me very much the latter. But, but she goes further than that. She says, you can't call it a surge. They're not, it's not a surge, it's children. Yeah, children can surge. <laughs> yes, if you, what are, when we're talking about the surge, we're talking about a rapid increase in numbers. And that is just what's happening. Doesn't matter if it, it, you can call it a surge in bunny rabbits at the local park. It's not a surge, it's bunny rabbits. Right, we're just talking about the massive increase in numbers that you're seeing because of Joe Biden. It's not a crisis. We're just, oh right, putting kids in cages. That same thing that AOC pretended to cry about when Trump did it. Even though the policy wasn't even originally a Trump policy. It's a policy that dates back all the way to the Clinton administration. So, so dishonest. And what she does, it works, obviously. I fell for it. She, she says things that are patently absurd, like when people come in mass over a border illegally, you can't call that an invasion or, or you're a white supremacist. And when numbers increase, you can't call it a surge. And when you're in a, at a critical moment, you can't call it a crisis. So she says things that are just incoherent, indefensible. And then she gets all of us to be exasperated by it. But then the terms of the discussion are on her preferred battlefield, right? This is what the left always does. They get us to argue on their terms. And so, and we're doing it right now. I mean, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this story up right now is just to call your attention to this rhetorical and political technique and to call your attention to the central strategy of political correctness, which I detail quite a lot in my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, available now for pre-order, which is that they believe that if you redefine the words you can redefine reality. If I say it's not a crisis, then you know what? It's not a crisis. If I say that a, 
a whole lot of foreigners are, are not pouring across our border, I don't even know what the argument she's making is, then yeah, then they're really not. It's not a surge. It's not a surge. Speaking of redefining reality, the actress Sophia Bush, who is that? I have no idea, but apparently she's a somewhat well-known actress. She just uh, posted to her Instagram that, that not pumping little boys full of little girl hormones, not pumping little kids full of cross-sex hormones and mutilating their bodies is tantamount to murder. Yes. Hashtag trans kids are under attack across the country. AR, I guess Arkansas, just banned them from accessing healthcare. Oh, they can't, oh no, they can't, they can't get their annual checkup. They can't go to the hospital if they have appendicitis. They, oh no, they, they have healthcare. Uh, AR just won't, uh, won't allow them to, won't allow pervert parents to pump their kids full of cross-sex hormones. This is tantamount to murder. Kids will tell us who they are. It's our job to support them, not demonize or harm them. No, it's our job to raise them and educate them. And kids won't tell us who they are because I told my mother I was Batman when I was four years old. Kids will tell us who they are. No, no, no. If, if you are relying on kids to teach you about the world and to educate you, then something has gone very wrong in your life. You are, you are living an inverted sort of life. But it, this does bring, I mean, wh- who cares what some ridiculous actress says? There are three positions that you can take on this transgender issue. And it involves a whole lot more than just this issue of people who are confused about their sex, which is as a psychological matter, a very small number of people. As a social contagion, it's getting bigger. But there are three positions you can have. The one is the, the first one is the leftist position, which is men can be women and therefore we ought to be able to mutilate anyone we want. If we want to pump adults full of hormones and chop off their body parts, that's totally fine. That's their choice. That's wonderful. We, we should do that actually. And if kids want to do that, then we should indulge kids in that too. That's the leftist position. Then there is the, call it the libertarian position, which is men cannot be women, but hey, who am I to judge? You do you. I mean, look, I think men can't be women, but maybe you think men can be women. And so, you know, really who's to say, so you, you should mutilate adults, but you, you shouldn't mutilate children because they haven't reached the age of consent. And so you got to wait for them to decide to harm themselves. And then once they want to harm themselves, then they can do that libertarian position. Third position is the conservative position, which is men cannot be women and therefore we should not encourage this and therefore we should not mutilate anyone. This is the position of uh, Dr. Paul McHugh, who, or at least in his practice, this is his position. He was one of the pioneers of the gender reassignment surgery, the, the very sort of mutilation that we're talking about. He did this at Johns Hopkins and he stopped doing it. He shut he shut that down because he realized it wasn't providing any medical benefit and it was wrong to do. I would strongly recommend the conservative position here. I think a lot of conservatives who want to be like nice guys and, you know, they don't want to tell people what to think and, hey, come on, it doesn't affect me, man, or whatever. They, they believe that by arguing the number two position, the, the libertarian position, that, you know, just don't do it to kids. Yeah, men can't really be women, but whatever. Adults should be able to do whatever they want, so just don't do it to kids. They think that that is going to stave off the leftist position, that we should be able to do it to everybody, including pumping little kids full of hormones. It won't. That second permissive position is just going to grant the premises that the first one relies on. 
<laughs> there is such a thing as reality. We can know certain things about reality through our faculties of reason. We can know certain things about the moral universe, like doctors shouldn't mutilate patients. We can know that through our moral conscience, which is a judgment of reason. And if we're going to abandon our faculties of reason and our moral conscience, then we've just given the game away to the leftists who believe that they can redefine reality however they see fit. You are not staving off what, what you feel is the, the really bad part of this, which is really the worst part of it, the, the uh, mutilating kids. You're not staving that off by adopting the live and let live, you do you position. You have to grow the cojones to stay. It's a kind of an interesting metaphor to use in this topic. You have to be able to grow those body parts. A spine too would be a good one to be able to state truths and have the confidence to stand by those truths in the public square and to stand by those truths through self-government where we make our own laws rather than surrender the field to the radicals who are, who are engaging in vicious, vicious behaviors that are ruining countless lives, now including the lives of children. If you want to work on your body, you know, work out a little bit. Working out is great. For instance, on the total gym, the total gym fit gives me a full body workout in the comfort of my home for about half the price of those expensive fitness bikes. You can do over 85 exercises on one machine. Whether you're a beginner or you're advanced, they have everything you need to get in the best shape of your life, burn calories and lose weight. You can work your core, your arms, your shoulders, your biceps, your thighs. You can work your whole body and a complete workout takes just 10 to 20 minutes a day. Even I, you know, I'm not the biggest hulking Adonis of a man. I set up my total gym fit. I love it. It's terrific. It's so, because, you know, if, you, if you're going to go to the gym, it's like you got to get dressed, you, know, you go to the gym, you drive 20 minutes to the gym, you go work out for however long, you got to shower, you drive back. The whole thing, it takes an hour and a half for you to get like a 15 minute workout. When you got that total gym fit in your home, you just go right upstairs. It's so easy. It's a real, real workout. Right now, Total Gym is offering a 30 day in-home trial on the Total Gym Fit for just $1. $1. So what do you have to lose? Do you not trust Christy Brinkley? Do you not trust Chuck Norris? Do you not trust me? No matter which Total Gym you try, my listeners can get an additional 20% off whatever discount they're currently running. Go to TotalGymDirect.com slash Knowles to get this offer. You got to go to that URL, TotalGymDirect.com slash Knowles to get an additional 20% off. Moving on from the topic of the gender ideology, but still speaking of dubious medical advice, Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci is out there, the exalted doctor, peace be upon him, our our great spiritual leader in his beautiful white lab coat, telling all of us what we need to do, not according to any traditional moral order or political order, just kind of whatever whims pop into his mind. Fauci is claiming credit for the vaccine. He is saying that this vaccine we got already, it's so great. This is the best decision that he ever made. When I saw what happened in New York City, refrigerated trucks are now being mobilized as makeshift morgues. Almost overrunning of our healthcare system. It was like, oh my goodness. And that's when it became very clear that the decision we made on January the 10th to go all out and develop a vaccine. We have a number of vaccine candidates. May have been the best decision that I've ever made with regard to an intervention as the director of the Institute. Wow. Thank you, Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci was the only person 
who thought that we should try to develop a vaccine to the new virus, right? He's the only person on earth who thought, oh no, everyone else thought that too. And President Trump was pushing for that more than just about anybody. Well, okay, fine. Maybe it wasn't his idea, Dr. Fauci's, but at at least he was the one who said, this is what we're going to do. This is the timeline. Here's how we're going to get it done, right? He was the one leading the charge. He was the one who, who foresaw that we would be able to get this vaccine into, oh no, he didn't. He actually said it was absurd to think we were going to get a vaccine really even by right about now that we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a vaccine for a year, a year and a half, certainly not in the six months it actually took. One of the things the president said yesterday is that we're very close to a vaccine. Now I know this is something you know a lot about. This is your job. How close are we to a vaccine? Are we very close? Well, I mean, the confusion again is we're close to starting a phase one trial to determine safety. We're going to do that in about one and a half to two months. But that doesn't mean you have a vaccine. In order to get a vaccine that's practically deployable for people to use, it's going to be at least a year to a year and a half at best. So that interview was at the very end of February, two days before the end of February. And he said, you will not get a vaccine. You will not, you will not have a vaccine. Forget about widespread access to the vaccine. You won't even have the vaccine for a year. So that would bring us to right about now or a year and a half, a year and a half. Well, that would bring us to September of 2021. When did we actually get the vaccine? Got the vaccine in late October, early, I mean, ready to go sort of vaccine, late October, early November of 2020. Completely wrong about the vaccine. Like he was completely wrong about so many important aspects of this pandemic. But he's going to get the credit. He's going to get the nice CNN special. Dr. Fauci saved us. Donald Trump stood on a debate stage with Joe Biden being interrogated by Chris Wallace. And he was told Wallace, I wish I had the clip. Wallace said repeatedly, I've played it on the show before. He said, Mr. President, you've said we're going to get a vaccine by the fall, but all the medical experts say there's no way that's going to happen. Trump says, look, I don't know what to tell you. I talked to these companies. It's going to happen. No, it's not all the experts, all the geniuses, all the lab goods. Look, I don't know. I mean, look, man, I'm just Donald Trump. What do I know? I'm a reality TV show host, but I think I'm smarter than all these eggheads in their white coats. He didn't quite say that, but he, he implied it and he was right. And he was right. Some people are benefiting from the continued lockdowns. And I think that is why some people, technocrats, politicians, certain people in corporate America are encouraging us to maintain the lockdowns longer and longer and longer. The lockdowns are not universally bad for business. We have this idea that all the lockdowns shut down things, terrible for the economy. What's the economy? (laughs) What, you know, we have this abstraction of the economy. The economy is how we all get along in our livelihoods, how we all make some money, how companies thrive, how companies go under. And some companies are doing really, really well. What's going on in this lockdown is not that the economy is suffering. It's that big business interests, big political interests are getting everything they've wanted for years and little business interests and little political interests are getting absolutely wrecked. The power mad Democrats are getting everything they want. The administrative state, the public health apparatus, getting everything at once. Giant corporations, Amazon notably, but many, many others have never been doing better. 
because now we're all just at home ordering from them instead of going to our local, local shops. The CDC has now extended its moratorium on evictions through June. Okay, well, that's good. That's good for the little guy, right? Well, maybe. Maybe it's good for some people who can't pay their rent. But what about the landowners? What about the building owners? Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, who cares about my land, landlord? That guy drives me crazy. He always takes my money. Not all landlords are made the same. There are small landlords who maybe they own one, one apartment building. Maybe they own one apartment. I, I used to rent an apartment from a lovely couple that they owned one apartment and they rented it out. And so if, if you didn't pay your rent that month, that really mattered to them. They couldn't, they couldn't float you for a year or a year and a half. That would put them out of business. The same is true for small property developers. It's not like these guys are just swimming around in bathtubs full of money. A lot of them are pretty extended. You know, they need to collect that rent. For much larger land developers, it's a little bit easier because they diversify their portfolio. They are able to float cash a little, a little bit more easily. So large landowners, I don't think they, they mind this at all. Make sure, extend the, the eviction moratorium. Extend it all you want because it's going to squeeze those small landlords out of business and then the big guys are going to be able to come in. This is the theme of COVID. The little guy suffers and the big guy wins. The little guy has to wear the mask. The little guy can't go to Thanksgiving. The little guy can't leave his house. And the big guy, he does whatever he wants. Just look at the Cuomos in New York. Violated all (laughs) of Andrew Cuomo's mandates. Chris Cuomo lied about it on TV, goes to the Hamptons, starts bicycling all around, sees people, gets fast-tracked all the special medical care, gets to go to work every day. But but you, the little guy, the little guy doesn't get any of that. Speaking of the powerful, pressing the powerless, a theme we hear a whole lot, especially from the left in our politics, a Georgia police department, Gwinnett County PD, is requiring officers to complete an implicit bias training course. Okay, we've heard a lot about implicit bias. The course teaches that the criminal justice system was, quote, set up by white men to benefit white men. Quote, each of these systems were set up by white men to benefit white men. That is not to lay blame, simply to explain how practices that favor the majority tend to evolve. So the justice system, rotten to the core, Actually, it has nothing to do with justice. It's simply another interest group set up to benefit that dread element of society, white men. It does not have to do with justice, rotten to the core. Do you see the problem here? Do you see the problem with a totally rotten justice system that maintains its power through implicit actions? If the whole system is corrupt, and if the corruption is implicit, then the training ain't going to do squat. (laughs) The training, it can't do anything. One, even even if under the best of conditions, if the whole system is corrupt, you got to get rid of the system. If there's nothing salvageable, if it's rotten really to its core, you've just got to get rid of it. You've got to say, abolish the police. But furthermore, if the corruption is implicit, then there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> because you can only do things about, about uh, issues that come to the conscience. 
that, that are brought up in your reason that you can think through because you can see them. You can only do things about these explicit problems. If they are implicit, by definition, you, you can't control it. This is how the left maintains power is if you, they say you're a racist and I say, no, I'm really not. And they say, no, well, that's just what a racist would say. You see, because if you, if you say that you're not a racist, that's proof that you're a racist because the racism that you're not even aware that your racism is implicit. You're not even aware that you're not aware of your racism. Uh, okay. Well, if that's the case, then get rid of this police department. If it's really rotten to the core and there's nothing you can do about the biases, then just get rid of it. Right. Is that, is that what we're going to do? No. No. It's just another cudgel to grab power. This is true at the local level. It's true all the way up to the president. Ben is going to be talking about the president lying like a rug, as he says in his show today. Go check out Ben's show later on. Also, you got to check out the Candace Owens show. We got a new episode coming out this Friday. You can still check out uh, Friday's episode, this past Friday's episode. Really great guests on there. Brandon Tatum. You've got uh, uh, Bryson Gray. You've got a really handsome, swarthy, articulate, brilliant guest. I'm not going to say who it is. Uh, go check it out. The, the show is only available to Daily Wire members. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Candace to get 25% off. That is code Candace for 25% off. Join now so you can tune in Friday night for a closer look behind her hot takes. We'll be right back with a lot more. As a matter of justice and crime, I can't believe we haven't even talked about it yet this week. The nation is on trial. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I thought, well, here's what I thought. I thought that that cop, Derek Chauvin, who was the Minnesota cop who was involved in the death of George Floyd. And some people are like BLM, for instance, is saying that, that Derek Chauvin murdered him and that they're therefore justified BLM burning the country down for six months. And some people are saying, well, actually, you know, George Floyd uh, was resisting arrest because we saw that video and he had extraordinarily toxic levels of fentanyl in his system and he has to be taken out of the car. And so maybe this is more complicated than people are letting on. I don't know. I don't want to get my studio burned down for saying something like that by the social justice warriors. But I thought it was a very specific criminal case. No, the journalists are telling me on ABC News, this is about the whole country. Of course, we have no idea over the course of this trial how much uh, race will be brought up, how much the conversation that ensued in this country and really around the world after this. Um, but there's no question that's the lens through which so many people are watching this unfold. Definitely about race. And, and I don't have to tell you, David, that this case is so much bigger than what happened 10 months ago in the corner of 38th and Chicago in Minneapolis. On its face, Derek Chauvin is on trial for sure. But for many Americans, this nation is on trial. Our criminal justice system is on trial. And for many, especially black people, um, this is about black and white. This is about justice for people who aren't specifically involved in this case. Yeah. Okay. That might be true according to some people in, in their perception. But the thing is, those people who think that are wrong because this case is not about black and white and a national reckoning on race and all these people who are not involved in the trial. This case is about whether or not 
the BLM narrative is true. Did in this particular case, even if it were true in this particular case, it wouldn't necessarily follow that it's true in all, all these other cases. But the question in this case, the BLM narrative is this cop motivated by racial hatred murdered this guy who had done nothing wrong. And therefore this was, this was a hate crime. It was basically a lynching. Is that true? The evidence doesn't seem to suggest it's true, but I guess that's why we're having a trial because evidence is going to be presented and we're going to find out whether, whether that narrative holds up to a jury or not. It's not about anything else. The left wants to make this about a national reckoning on race and, and more specifically, because they, they don't want any sort of reckoning on race at all. They want to advance a narrative that says that white people are bad and they're the source of all evil in the world. And as LeBron James said, black men can't leave their homes without being hunted down by racist whites. And that's, that's what they're going to, to tell us because that is an, an effective cudgel. There was a really horrific apparent hate crime in New York. Just, uh, just came out over the past few days. Anti-Asian violence is on the rise. We've been told the cause of this is white supremacy. So you can take a, take a listen to what, what happened in New York. So an Asian woman walking by, yeah, we've blurred this too, because we don't, I don't want to see this woman getting pounded. So Asian woman walking on the street and a black guy walks up and just kicks her right in the face and then just keeps kicking her in the face. There's a security guard inside the building with the door open. So is he going to go help? They're not helping at all. Is he going to go out there and help her now? No, he closes the door, closes the door on her. As far as I can tell, no white supremacy present anywhere in this video. As far as I can tell, no white people present anywhere in this video. And yet we are being told, I kid you not, that crimes such as this perpetrated by one racial minority group against another racial minority group are caused by white supremacy because white supremacy is not the conclusion of any argument the left is making. It's the premise. It's the lens through which they're viewing the world. So they'll say, yeah, okay, this black guy comes up and he says to this Asian woman, you don't belong here. And he kicks her in the head and he viciously beats her. And these, these, I I don't even want to call them men. These things standing in this, this doorway, not helping her, closing the door on her. They do nothing, but this is caused by white supremacy. It reminds me of this, uh, uh, rather Christian idea that man is the, the greatest of all beings, right? Of all created beings. And so when man turns toward God, he, he really shines, right? He really is the greatest, greatest of all beings. But when man turns away from God and embraces wrath and uh, violence and viciousness like the man on the street, or when he embraces cowardice and selfishness like those men in the building, he becomes the worst of all animals, the lowest of the created things. That's, I think, what we're seeing in this video. Is the issue that's going on in this video, is it white supremacy? Uh, No, very obviously not. Is it race? Well, there's obviously a racial component there. The guy says to the Asian woman, you don't belong here. So it, it at least seems very likely that race plays some role. But is race even the primary issue here? I, d- I don't think so. I think the primary issue is uh, a total breakdown of 
civil society. I think the issue is a complete breakdown of education. I suspect at issue here is a breakdown of the family, which teaches you love, loyalty, and obligation to the smallest political unit up to the larger political unions. And I suspect what's going on here is a breakdown of the justice system. That guy who kicked that woman in the face, apparently he's been arrested, thankfully. Apparently he, uh, he just got out of the clink a little while ago. He served 17 years after murdering his mother. The guy murders his mother, goes to jail for 17 years. If you murder your mother, I don't want to seem like I'm a crazy, bloodthirsty, pro-capital punishment guy. If you murder your mother, I don't think you should get out of prison. I don't think you should go to prison. I think you should be executed by the state. I don't see any exception to that rule, right? Is that so crazy? Am I such a radical for saying that? But no, because we, we now are told we need to be compassionate. We need to, it's so compassionate and, and it's actually a matter of justice to pull people out of the justice system and let them out on the street so they can kick Asian women in the head. Is that, is that compassionate? Is that justice? I, I don't think so. Speaking of potential crimes, under investigation right now for allegedly getting frisky with a 17 year old girl is... Republican Congressman Matt Gates, apparently under FBI or DOJ investigation. Uh, Matt Gates says that it's an extortion attempt involving a crooked DOJ official. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about this case. The only thing I know is that there is corruption at the DOJ. Plenty of fine people at the DOJ and the FBI, but also plenty of crooks. We saw a lot of them during the Trump administration. We know Matt Gates, very prominent Republican. We know Republicans have it pretty tough these days when it comes to the administrative state. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I, I, I'm going to reserve judgment. I, I know that that's a crazy thing to do these days where we're all supposed to have a knee-jerk reaction right away and, and you know, throw people into the outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. But I'm not going to do that. You know, wait and see. They're going to do some investigation. We'll see what happens. What's more interesting about Matt Gates right now is that he has uh, reportedly told several associates that he is considering leaving Congress and going over to Newsmax and becoming a Newsmax TV host. Re- now, really, the only reason I even mentioned the sex scandal thing is that this might be one explanation for why he wants to leave Congress. But let's just say for a second, there's, there's separate issues. I think there's two reads on why a prominent member of Congress would want to leave Congress to become a TV show host. The cynical read is that he wants money and he wants fame. You can't make a whole lot of money in Congress, at least not if you want to do it the honest way. And, you know, you get sort of well-known, but you, you can be just as well-known, if not more well-known in the media. And so, yeah, he wants more, more money and fame. So he's going to leave public service. That's a cynical read. There's a sympathetic read too, and it's the one that I'm more inclined toward. The sympathetic read is that Matt Gates knows that he can have a greater influence in our public life from a desk at Newsmax than he can in Congress. And I, I think that's basically true. There, there have been a handful of times people write in, many of you have written in and said, hey, Michael, are you, are you, do you want to run for public office? You should run for, for office. And I, I think, well, yeah, if I, if I felt I could really do something, certainly I would do that. That'd be, that'd be great. If I felt that I could really influence the country in a way that I felt was really good and, and I could do, oh man, wouldn't that be fabulous? Can one do that? 
In certain instances, I think one can. Can you do that from Congress though? I don't think so because <laughs> con- Congress doesn't really pass laws anymore. Certainly Republicans in Congress don't pass laws. Democrats do it a little bit more so. But mostly what you do if you're in Congress is you just do TV hits, right? You occasionally will get a good sound bite when you're grilling someone who's testifying and then you're flying back and forth all the time between your district and DC and you're just raising money. You're spending probably 60% of your time just calling up your friends and associates and begging for money. And then you're spending the rest of your time doing TV hits. So, and, and the, really the way you're influencing the public conversation is much more through the TV hits than through anything else. So I suspect what Matt Gates is thinking is, wait a second, why am I wasting all my time doing these things that are having no effect whatsoever when I could just spend all my time doing the TV hits and make it a TV show and have, have an influence that way? Obviously, when it is the case that the media have more influence over our politics than elected members of Congress, something has gone a little weird in our constitutional order. But I, I do think that's happened. And I, I think Gates, I think there are plenty of unselfish reasons why he would want to go have a TV show instead of serving Congress. The left knows that people in the media can have a wider impact on our, you know, m- much more significant impact on our politics than people in Congress. That is why they spend so much time going after us in media. There are people who are watching this right now, I suspect, who are at organizations like Media Matters, which is an extraordinarily well-funded left-wing operative group, whose job it is to watch this show. That's their job. Never say I'm not a job creator. Their job is to sit and watch this show and try to get me fired. And it's not just me. It's Ben Shapiro. It's Andrew Clavin. It's some of the Fox guys, some of the Newsmax guys, some of the Blaze guys. And they may have just claimed a scalp. There was a, a big recent uh, coordinated effort from Media Matters to go after Steven Crowder. I guess there's always kind of a long coordinated effort to go after Crowder. Frankly, I'm, an, I'm part of the effort to go after Crowder. You know, we got to bring that guy down a peg. No, there is. There's, the left has gone after Crowder a lot because he gets away with a lot because he's a comedian and he's a pretty funny guy. Now they're closing in on him. YouTube has blocked Crowder from uploading new content to his channel for one week. He's got a huge channel. It's got over 5 million subscribers, I think. Uh, He's got another separate channel called Crowder Bits that I think he's still streaming from. from. We'll see how long that stays up. Uh, They pulled one of his videos from the platform that they said violated its rules against spreading misinformation about the 2020 election. YouTube booted Crowder from its YouTube partner program, which allows Crowder to monetize the show. It's not like he does the show as a charity, right? The the show is his job. That's how he can produce a high quality show. That's gone for some other reason that they made up. He's being booted from Twitter. Maybe he's back on Twitter now. I'm not sure. But this, this is what happens is that all the tech companies, when they think you're vulnerable, when they think it's a good time to go after, they just, they go in on them. I had an interview with Steven yesterday when I was guest hosting Ben's radio show. You can find that over at my YouTube channel. Uh, because he kind of explains what's going on here. The reason I bring this up is not just to complain about how big tech is going after conservatives. We all know that that's happening. The reason I mention this is Crowder is very, very mainstream. Okay. I spend a lot of my day reading things from the fringe of the fringe of the far left and reading things from the fringe of the fringe of the far right and reading a lot of arcane old political philosophy from the way old back timey days, and reading a lot of what crazy people are saying now, and watching all these crazy YouTube videos. 
Steven Crowder is about as mainstream as it gets. Okay. And if they're going after him, they're going after all of us. It's why I mention. I mean, I've been making a joke about it now that I, I keep plugging my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. Whether it was coincidence or, let's say, providence, <laughs> my book is about this, about what's going on right this very second, even though I started writing it a year and a half ago. And now that Amazon is booting conservative books, I don't know how much longer it's going to be up there. So it's available for pre-order now at other places. And it's still at Amazon for now, but we'll see how long that lasts. Things happen gradually and then suddenly. So it might be, yeah, they're kicking off the fringe people. And then, you know, six months later, they kick off some other fringe guy. And then that's a little less fringe six months later. And you could see a world where, where it goes. Crowder plays Daily Wire. Boom, 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 boom. Because they know that the media can have great influence and they don't want us to have any say in the media. Speaking of getting canceled, you know, there was an attempt uh, by Harry's Razors to cancel me the other day. <laughs> you remember Harry's Razors, I uh, used to advertise on the show. They make, they make good razors, don't they? I mean, a lot of people I know have bought razors through this show from Harry's. And I know that a lot of people have canceled their razors from Harry's. So, so Harry's responded to a fake Twitter account, <laughs> this account that had at the time two followers. Who knows who's behind the account? It could be some high school kid or it could be a Democrat operative outlet like the ones we've just mentioned, which have lots and lots of Twitter accounts. Who knows? I don't know. I don't really care. That Twitter account dug up a clip from two years ago in which I, I went on Candace Owens' old show on Prager. And Candace Owens made a point about transgenderism, and I agreed with it. And this Twitter account said, Harry, is you're sponsoring Michael Knowles. You, this is terrible. Look what he did years ago before you even started sponsoring him. And Harry's wrote back, and they said, this is inexcusable. We condemn these views. You know, the view that men are not women or whatever. And we condemn it, and this is horrible, and we've ended our relationship with this show. And I thought, I think they believed they were just going to virtue signal to the left-wing mob. It wasn't even a mob. It was this little fake account. And that would be all good. And we'd let them get away with it. And if it were just a hit at me, you know, maybe I'd just take it and move on. But it was a hit at our listeners. It was a hit at our audience who said, said, you know, if you believe that men are not women, that you're an inexcusable, vile bigot or something. So we decided we were not going to be quiet about it. We were going to mention that Harry's Razors does not want the business of conservatives. Because Harry's Razors thinks we're all vile and condemnable and inexcusable. Harry's Razors hates us. They don't mind our money because our money's still green, but they don't really want our, they don't want any relationship with us. That's for sure. They said there's a values misalignment. So anyway, we, I've gotten uh, at this point, I think thousands of messages <laughs> from people who, who have written into Harry's to cancel their plans and have uh, CC'd me on emails. Apparently for a while, some people were calling Harry's and saying, hey, I want to, I, I just heard something on the Michael Knowles show and Harry's would preempt them and say, well, you, we're canceling your plan. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's pretty funny. Good way to uh, keep pressure up. Really, really too bad that Harry's doesn't, doesn't want our business. Speaking of getting canceled, Maryland, the state of Maryland, what could have been that great Catholic colony, that great Catholic state didn't, didn't remain very Catholic too long. Maryland is getting rid of its state anthem. The state song is Maryland, My Maryland. And you're going to see some commentary on this over the next few days. 
And it's, some people are going to say, this is cancel culture. And some people are going to say, this is wonderful that they are changing the song. And I think most of the debate is, is missing the point. Here's the song. Maryland, my Maryland. The despot's heel is on thy shore, Maryland. His torch is at thy temple door, Maryland. Avenge the patriotic gore that flecked the streets of Baltimore and be the battle queen of your Maryland, my Maryland. The despot that they're referring to here is Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> so this, uh, this song comes from, I guess, the 1860s. And it was uh, made this state song in, in uh, 1939, I believe. Uh, Maryland, my mother state, to thee I kneel. Maryland, for life and death, for woe and weal. The peerless chivalry reveal and gird thy beauteous limbs with steel. Maryland, my Maryland. Then it goes on and talks more about Oh, yeah. Maryland, Virginia should not call in vain. Maryland, she meets her sisters on the plains. Six Semper tis the proud refrain that baffles minions back again. Maryland, the Six Semper, like Six Semper Tyrannus, thus always to tyrants. That's what uh, John Wilkes Booth yelled when he killed Abraham Lincoln. So okay, this is pretty, uh, you know, pretty hardcore. It, it obviously does have a, a relation to the Confederacy. It obviously doesn't take a good, good view of uh, Abraham Lincoln. So, should we keep the anthem in the interest of preserving our history? Should we get rid of the anthem because, you know, it's a, it's a Confederate battle cry, basically? What's the answer? My, my problem is not exactly the repeal of the song. The song hasn't been the state song for all that long, considering how long Maryland's existed. And it's not, the song wasn't even written all that long ago. My problem here is how contrived the whole thing is. I do not think that there is a popular movement to get rid of the Maryland state song. I suspect most Marylanders don't know the state song and have never heard of the state song. This is not an organic change. This is a, a, another example of feigning offense on behalf of allegedly oppressed people. This is, this is just another example of people pretending and pretending. This is also purely destructive. There's no, it's not as though everyone's always singing the state song and now, you know, this has created a big conflict. And so now we need a new state song and there's a battle between the state songs and one state song is on the rise. No, it's just some busybody liberal, probably a white liberal. If I just, if I had to guess, I'm only speaking anecdotally. It's usually how these things go. Going in and saying, this is unacceptable. We can't have this song. And so we're just going to get rid of it because we're going to pretend to be offended on behalf of everybody. But there's nothing to replace it. It seems to me the conservative approach to something like this is if the state song no longer represents who you are, then you change it. You You replace it with something that is, has really that is a true ritual that has become a tradition that actually means something in the hearts of the people. You engage in evolution, not revolution, gradual change from a a real place of concern and love of state. I, I don't think that any of what's going on with the Maryland state song has to do with gradual change or organic change or love of state for that matter. I think it's people who think Maryland, racist, bad, evil, We've got to get rid of it. America, evil, racist too. Got to, got to get rid of that. Got to topple the statues. Got to destroy the old standards. 
This is the phenomenon I describe in, in the book Speechless is it, it, there is this campaign to a purely negative campaign to destroy all the traditions, imperfect though some of our ideas might be, Im, it, uh, you know, uh, not politically correct though some of our behaviors might be. There's this campaign to get rid of all the old standards. And what are they going to be replaced with? I don't know. Speech codes that change every day doesn't matter. What, what it's about is the accumulation of power and the imposition of that power by the big interests in the, the private sector, in the government, in the culture that have really benefited from this crisis. Oops, dare, dare I say it, the crisis that we're in. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Bory. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. The Derek Chauvin trial continues, and we'll try to sort through all the issues related to George Floyd's death. Another vicious anti-Asian assault is being blamed on white supremacy, even though it wasn't carried out by a white person. YouTube makes a move to protect the feelings of YouTube creators like myself. And AOC says you're racist if you use the term border surge. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.